Welcome to Printing Money, the insider's perspective on finance and investment in the 3D printing industry. Here are your hosts, Alex Kingsbury and Danny Piper. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 12 of the Printing Money podcast. I'm your host, Danny Piper. Right now, you're probably wondering, hey, wait a minute. Doesn't Alex Kingsbury do the intro? And that has been the case historically. But for those of you that went to Forum Next, now it was pretty intense this year. I feel lucky that I survived the Rave to AM event, and that was just the first night. By Wednesday, I lost track of Alex completely, and I haven't seen or heard from her since. I thought maybe she disappeared on maybe a 3D printing walkabout and got lost somewhere in the halls of the Mesa in Frankfurt. Asking around, I heard word in the street that she never really made it back to Australia. And I heard reports about her hanging around the Inlight booth. Well, what I found out now is it turns out that Inlight had hired her as the additive manufacturing market development manager. And her first day on the job was at Forum Next. So, yep, our Alex Kingsbury is all grown up. She's got a big time job with a public company, Hawking Lasers. But if you miss her, don't worry. We're going to go ahead and have her back on the next episode once she gets her family settled into Vancouver, Washington. So in this episode, I'm happy to announce that we've got Troy Jensen back. We've got a lot to cover today because we are going to hit the sort of the wrap up of the third quarter and conjecturing on what's going on. So, hey, Troy. Hey, Danny. How you doing? Doing great. So it was good to see you briefly at Forum Next. Uh, was that a good show for you? Yeah, it was a fun event. I spent uh, some extra days over there also visiting Materialize. So I got to spend the weekend and saw the Chiefs game and yeah, there's all sorts of excitement. So uh, a lot of good friends and industry contacts and yeah, some some decent news. So it was good. Yeah, that was pretty cool this year. They, they had the uh, NFL football games as bookends on either uh, weekend on both sides of it. So pretty cool timing. It seems like uh, there's a, a new change for you. And uh, since the last time you've been on the, the podcast, you want to share with everybody the latest uh, new gig that you got? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, so I left uh, Lake Street Capital Markets. It was a hard decision. Uh, I love those guys, but I had an opportunity to work with, uh, uh, but working at Canada Fitzgerald, I'm going to be doing equity research. I officially haven't launched coverage on anything yet. So, you know, what you hear from me is going to be just kind of factual information on kind of what happened in Q3. Um, but yeah, really excited to uh, work at Cantor, quality firm and um, a lot of great, uh, a lot of great people there, and they're putting a big investment right now to kind of grow the business and grow the equity research. So it's, uh, it's been a, a nice move for me. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm glad to see that uh, there's a, a, a solid 3D printing team being developed there, and the industry needs it, and we need the continuity of good bankers in the space. And it kind of leads me to something. I, I know we haven't really dove into this on prior episodes, but I. I I think it's worthy of note. People ask questions and, and we always have you come on every quarter to the extent that we can to talk about the public companies. And, you know, my role as a M&A banker is I'm sort of a transactional hitman. I come and go. I don't have the same continuity with these types of companies in the public markets that you do. And maybe if you could just give everybody a minute or two sort of an education in terms of the in really in terms of the the role of a research analyst because it's it's different than the the M and A bankers. Yeah. Okay. It's um you know my our primary clients would be institutional investors, right? So you're talking to hedge fund managers, portfolio managers, mutual fund managers. You know they'll have a tech analyst or a tech PM that you know will kind of at points in their career and points of different cycles in this industry have interest in investing in this space. So. You know, my job is is a lot of educating people, right? Once firms um, 
you know, decide to invest in, in 3D printing, they need to understand all the different technologies and, um, you know, just the different stories. So it's a lot for me. It's, it's educating institutional investors. Um, it's giving them access to management teams. It's trying to do little events where we can do dinners and booth tours. And um, that's kind of the day-to-day business that creates trading, right? Um, sometimes the stocks are in favor with crazy multiples. Other times they're not. They're out of favor with depressed multiples. You know, in conjunction, you know, banking. Uh, actually, I'll pause and let you talk about the banking side of uh, of the relationship with uh, with uh, equity research. Yeah, I so and because uh, when I think about it from a compliance standpoint, we're a small firm and we don't have research. So I, I'm I'm thankful in a way I don't have to create where they, you know, create these organizational walls between research and banking. And so we, you know, conflicts of interest. We are purely transactional, so we're there to go out and. and and in some ways, I feel like we do a lot of educational stuff in this industry, too, because we're talking to private investors, not hitting the public markets, representing mostly private companies. So in some ways, that that's not work we get paid for in terms of the outreach that we do. That's just more of a labor of love. We get paid typically on the success fees of transactions, whether they are financing transactions or M&A transactions. I know it's a little more complicated in your world because you've got the regulatory compliance where transactional teams and research teams have to make sure they stay arm's length. Right, right. And for, so from my point of view, you know, having done this so long, um, it's been like 18 years now of following these stocks, right? So first it was Stratasys and, and 3D Systems, right? And then we had the first cycle and, you know, materialized in Voxel Jet and SLM came out. And then just a couple of years ago, we had the SPAC cycle. Um, so I've been in this space forever. So I've done these quarterly surveys. So you're right. I've been constantly talking to these management teams. You know, they read what I write, you know, because there's you know, obviously a lot of good information. I do a lot of proprietary research and I got this good network of, uh, of resellers that have been, you know, great. To, you know, they work with me to kind of help kind of preview how quarters may come out. Uh, it's been a, a long journey, but a lot of fun. And it's like I said, it's crazy to see the different valuations you pay during different cycles in this industry. But yeah, no, I, I feel like it's it's been interesting for sure. And I, you know, I still think back to sort of one of the first panels I had in this industry it was actually with you back in like 2013 timeframe. And and it was right when VoxelJet was going public and you were at Piper. And so um, the heady times have kind of come and gone and come right. back again. And yeah. And one so, and a couple times in between, maybe. But uh. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to launch into some of these, but before we do, I just wanted to do a quick disclaimer because uh, we've had this issue before. We use, or at least I want to say we. I, it's going to be me. I use PitchBook fairly regularly as a subscriber. I, I expect that no data provider, because Capital IQ also use FactSet as well, has perfect information. I do want to offer an apology to Surratt and James DeMuth. They were in process of a financing that PitchBook had disclosed as a closed transaction. It was not closed at that point. We did announce in one of our prior episodes. And so the reason I want to bring that up is if there's anybody out there that has a deal, they're concerned and they want to make sure it's embargoed and not have us talk about it, we're totally open. Please contact me. I'm, I'm absolutely open to making sure that uh, we time the release of the information at the right time, because the goal of this podcast is really to facilitate entrepreneurs in this industry, to grow the industry, not impede it for the sake of breaking the latest news story. This is really educational. So um, we appreciate your support. We appreciate everybody's feedback. And I just, you know, sorry to James and the team at Surratt if we, you know, sort of jumped the gun based on the pitch book data. So we're limited in that, and I, I do want to make a, a second disclaimer in that you know Troy and I are here. Troy and I are here today, really, to kind of conjecture about sort of these companies. This is not investment advice, and um, until sort of 
he's really back up and running at Cantor. Yeah, this is really an opportunity for us to kind of sync up and have you all alongside to hear how we talk about it. So uh, with that said, maybe we should jump into it. I think we're going to hit some of the hardware companies first and in with some of the services companies. So, uh, Troy, who do you have first on the list today? Yeah, guys. So here's, you know, what I'm going to do. Uh, the order was kind of dictate off growth rate. So I did this last uh, Q2 back when I was publishing and I thought it was kind of a a good appropriate way to look at these companies and and the year and, and kind of how, how you know the growth has been happening or not happening for the companies. So I looked at nine month revenues for uh, the obviously the first nine months of 23 and, and 22 and the highest growth was Velo, VLD, ticker symbol, as you guys know. Um, they had 54%, uh, call it 55% revenue growth. So really good numbers. You know, best growth in the space for the most part you know, they've really struggled with their growth was kind of one of their problems. It's just hard to grow that fast. It's hard to like get all the system engineers and all the supply chain up and running. And uh, so they had to lower guidance for the year. You know, they still got a you know, pretty healthy burn rate. So uh, they've announced, you know, prior ATMs and, and a convertible offering. Um, but uh, yeah, they do have, you know, really good growth. We'll continue to grow nicely, but you know, need to get to profitability um, like everybody else or most people in the industry. Let me just keep going on these names, Danny. Or well, you I'll say for a second. I'll, I'll throw a few more things out. I know um, there's actually an event coming up later this week. Um, Zeta is doing a big unveiling of their facility in Cincinnati. And uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, they've got a few Velo machines there. Um, that, that part, I think, is you know, interesting. I heard some other stories. I know Adman had some machines. So uh, seeing where some of the growth occurring for Velo, uh, I think when we talked last time, one of the big concerns was, you know, the growth there, but the backlog is getting harder and harder to kind of maintain at the same rate. And I don't think that's inconsistent with sort of anybody else in the industry selling hardware. But um, one thing that I noted was, uh, I think it was October 31st, Bloomberg reported that Velo 3D is working with an advisor to explore strategic, strategic options. I think what you're going to hear this is a recurring theme throughout the whole uh, list of companies today that uh, the market, you know, the need for capital in this market is uh, extremely strong today. And lots of companies are putting everything on the table. I don't look at anything too significant with that. Just know that they're trying to get the highest and best use position for the company. I saw another news announcement that kind of came out where um, we, we talked in the last episode, too, about this one. I think it was uh, with, with Velo, where their uh, CFO had resigned at the end of September. So there were some accounting irregularities in this last report. I, I don't think the order of magnitude was overly significant. There, were, I think there was $200,000 of deferred revenues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I bring it up because I know the articles are there. I don't want to overstate that that was something that I, I thought was overly significant, especially in light that the CFO had just, you know, had, had left. Um, and then I was, you know, lucky enough to, to spend some time with Benny at uh, Forum Next. Uh, Inlight actually hosted a panel on the economics of laser powder bed fusion that I moderated, and Benny participated with Michael Kentworthy uh, from Divergent 3D and Ken Davis from Amaro. Who, by the way, side note, Amaro just uh, raised 10 million bucks. So congrats to that team as well. Um, the one thing that I, when we think about the pressure, and I, and I want to highlight this because it's, it's probably kind of worth noting, at least I thought it was a, a, a very poignant moment at Formnext, was the 
absolute huge presence that the Chinese manufacturers put forth at that show. I mean, the, the bright laser booth, God, it was, I think, in a hall 11.0. That thing was massive. Yeah. And uh, that, that, that was shocking. And we, I think we all expected for soon, uh, given their IPO. But I think, you know, bright laser, uh, I think, surprised a lot of people. And for Velo and everybody else, it certainly put some pressure on the industry. So, yeah, just, just some additional commentary on that one because I thought that was some, sort of an interesting data point. Yeah, I definitely saw, you know, probably four big, you know, Chinese, uh, you know, system vendors out there. It's I think that market is really, really strong right now, but uh, we're just not seeing as much in the U.S. or in Europe. But uh, speaking of companies uh, pursuing strategic options, uh, <laughs> Voxeljet, you know, was also kind of uh, the number two. Actually had good growth. Yeah, their uh, first uh, nine months of 23 was uh, 18.7 million euro up from 17.1. So 9.4 million, you know, it's a lot of small numbers. So, um, but still is is good for those guys. Um, they've got a lot going on, you know, the leader in kind of big frame, you know, sand casting applications. Um, I think, you know, some stuff too, that happened recently too, in kind of giga casting space, Danny. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was interesting. There was a, I, I, I mean, there's just a flurry of text that hit me. The, as soon as the announcement came out that GM was buying tooling and equipment international TEI, and, and I, you know, to me, I wasn't as familiar with TEI as probably I should have been. And from my understanding, TEI was one of the bigger developers with Tesla on coming up with giga casting. And apparently GM has been making moves towards these larger frame assemblies the same way that uh, Tesla is doing. And their method is using large scale 3D printed uh, sand castings as well as cores and Voxeljet being the one that makes those. Um, hopefully there's a, a real positive development in that announcement because it's sort of a driver for the industry for them. If auto is moving that direction and they can make larger assemblies or larger structures and parts uh, using 3D printing, that that's sort of a big win for Voxeljet. Um, I think they need it just from a growth standpoint. And so hopefully that's uh, a positive development for them. Yeah, I'd agree. I think I've heard more about gigacasting uh, lately, especially uh, from kind of the X1 side of, uh, of desktop metal also. Um, and as you know, Voxeljet's just, they dominate kind of large frame, you know, big format printers. So if you've got the GE deal for those big windmill blades, so if anyone can do big parts, they're, they're kind of one of the best for it right now. So moving to the next name, uh, actually, so the first two were the only guys that were positive uh, for the first nine months. Um, Mark Forge was pretty close to flat. They did uh, almost 70 million uh, this year, down from 71.3 million last year. So it's down 2.4% year over year. They talked about, uh, you know, having some deals slip to the right. They did negatively pre-announce, you know, they weren't the only one this quarter. There's probably a couple others that should have that didn't. Uh, but they lowered guidance for the year, you know, not significantly, but, you know, kind of enough that it mattered. Um, they did say, I will say they had a pretty good form next. They had a ton of traffic in their booth. Uh, they kind of were the highlight one of the days with the launch of the FX10. So I know they got a lot of media, a lot of publicity out of that. That'll kind of be their new, kind of call it what, the X7 replacement, kind of the high-end industrial, uh, just under the X, uh, the FX20. Um, so those guys, a bunch of product cycles, right? They got that, the FX20. They've got, you know, their digital uh, metal acquisition that they did. I think it's a PX1000. They got the software that they're kind of ramping now, that marketplace stuff. So, but uh, yeah, they're the first company to kind of come out and negatively pre-announce and, um, you know, cutting costs like everybody and try to focus on profitability, but they got a, a pretty healthy uh, balance sheet. 
Yeah, I, I remember walking by the booth as they were doing with those announcements, and I was impressed by the crowd sitting around. Um, it was actually hard to get through, you know, I, and, and not following and having a lot of interaction with them recently. Obviously, you know, the, the one thing I know is a lot of variability in the uh, stock price lately. I think some of that's probably the downgrade in the forecast, but it's sort of, you know, if I look at enterprise value to revenue multiples in June, they're at 0.91x, then they jumped up to like almost 1.5, almost 1.6x. Uh, and then by today, is the recording on December 5th, they're sort of down at almost, you know, below 0.7x. So there's been some variability that they've had. And it looks like margins have been sort of the one thing that they're trying to maintain there. But the, the biggest news, and again, this is something that you're also going to hear repeatedly going forward, is that they got a non-compliance letter from the New York Stock Exchange uh, for trading below a dollar. And uh, as a result, this isn't the first time we've talked about this on the podcast. There's a, a play that's already been you know well-established. It's a reverse stock split. So don't be surprised if uh, in one of our upcoming podcasts, you're going to hear about a reverse stock split for Mark Forge. Yep. Yep. I hear you. So um, I will say uh, next on the list here for a nine-month performance would be Stratasys. Uh, they did $471 million this year, uh, down slightly from $492 million. Uh, they will, were uh, flat on a sequential basis, was probably best uh, in the group, uh, but still down 4.2% uh, year over year. Uh, they will say that, uh, you know, they did divest MakerBot, Right. So uh, looking apples to apples, but they also acquired Covestra. So I don't think the growth is too far off from what I'm quoting. Um, maybe slightly better. Uh, they did have also a very good Formnex. Uh, another kind of a highlighted, their booth was packed. It was the end of the day and they had free beer for everybody. So <laughs> might have just been a lot of people getting ready to go to the rave party that they had after that. Or maybe that was yeah. the other night. I can't remember. But anyway, um, you know, the F. Uh, 3300 launch uh, was was really visible. They got a lot of good publicity off it. It's a higher end, faster, uh, you know, big printer. Got multiple heads. You can kind of change the mouse. You can do multiple colors. So you know, hats off to Stratasys to putting up you know a decent quarter, but uh, you know, still like everybody else, seeing some uh, declines on a year over year basis. Yeah, as a reminder for everybody, I think Troy, the numbers that you're you're putting out are sort of the nine months numbers, and I just think about that year over year kind of numbers. And it's it's not a, a big drop. They ended last year with what six hundred and fifty million in revenues. If you look at a trailing twelve months, they're six hundred and thirty. But one thing that I looked at, I thought was cool when I looked at their numbers recently, is their margins. Unlike most others in the industry, almost you could set your watch to them. They are literally very consistent. They haven't had the declining uh, margins that uh, some of the other companies have had. So. Um, so there's, you know, certainly some, some good things there. And then, yeah, one of the other things that I, it was an interesting, um, uh, note. I mean, the fact that Stratus has had the showing they did, obviously they have a, you know, a top tier sales force, number one in the industry, but that the, the showing that they had there, it was so hard for people from Israel to make the show and, and to get the people, uh, there from my understanding, there was one flight, L air flight that left on Monday and came back on Thursday. So they had a couple of the key people there. We were, we were thrilled to, to see that contingent there. So, um, so that's good news out of Stratasys. Yep. Hats off to them. Uh, next in line, desktop metal uh, for the nine month over nine month. You're right to point that out. It's not kind of quarterly numbers I'm talking about, but they did uh desktop did 137.4 million this year. 
down from 148.5. So it's seven and a half percent year over year decline. Should be pretty organic. I don't think they've done any acquisitions or divestitures um, you know, from previously have done so much, but they've anniversaried everything. Um, if you remember, they did outperform, uh, had a better than expected Q2. You know, but Q3 is also soft with a misconsensus and you know, kind of guided down their years, you know, hopeful for a big Q4. But yeah, definitely, uh, you know, the margins, profitability, you know, everything uh, kind of negative. It's interesting. I wanted to say this on one of the previous comments that you're making, but uh, I was watching CNBC today and they made this comment. It just speaks to this universe that there's been this massive rotation into profitability and out of growth. Right. And, you know, this additive space doesn't have the profitability. Right. They have losses and some of them shaky balance sheets. So investors just haven't really been looking here. And that's why multiples, you know, are, are so depressed right now. Yeah, this is an interesting story to continue to develop. Right. I, I think we've had uh, Rick on the podcast. You know, again, they also got that non-compliance notice. So just like uh, Mark Forge, they're probably going to have to do a reverse stock split or something, you know, of a similar magnitude to get them back into compliance. But um, the one thing that uh, I you know, wasn't able to do for this podcast is sort of dig in and look at the non-GAAP adjustments because we did that and we had that conversation with Rick for everybody that goes back to that episode. When you look at the financials for GAAP reporting, you have a lot of non-cash expenses that go into things like their gross margins. So they look like they're fairly low at 7% or 8%. But when you make the adjustments for things like depreciation, in those in those circumstances, then the real margins on a non-GAAP basis are really probably better to look at. And, and there were some indications that they were turning the corner. They've got $108 million in cash right now. So, you know, it's down from 180 million at the end of 2022. But there was uh, some cost cutting measures that I think Rick's been very, uh, you know, key to put in place, consolidating facilities, reducing some headcount. So this will be the one to watch this year because I, I think it's it's not easy to just go look at what their net operating losses are and say, oh, man, they can't make it another year. I think there is a real story here that that's potentially one that they can pull out. But, you know, stay tuned on this one because it's it's, there's a little bit more behind the numbers on that one. Yeah, I will point out Wall Street or me and most kind of growth investors do look at non-GAAP numbers. So I agree we kind of back out all those expenses and, um, you know, and obviously operating margins get jacked up a lot with uh, taking out stock-based compensation as a little impact on, on gross margins. But, uh, you know, mergers and inventory and stuff like that can all kind of skew some things that you that should be one time in nature. You know, I will point out too, I think desktop metal has uh, – as a convertible offering. So I think they have a hundred some million in debt also, Danny, not just that cash position, just to be, you know, fair on yeah. both sides. Um, but then, uh, so lastly for the equipment companies, uh, 3D systems, 405 million last year, down to 373 million this year, down 8%, roughly 7.9. Um, you know, for them, it was really uh, a line has been weighing them down and kind of just dental in general. Uh, what we're seeing across the board, not just with Align, uh, but just inventory reductions. If you go back the last year and a half, two years, we've talked about supply chain constraints. People started hoarding and double ordering, right? It's just very common nature to try to beef up our kind of local inventory. Um, so now you go into a recession and growth slows. You also kind of, you know, shrink your inventory level. So it has a compounding impact on those suppliers. So I will point out, you know, we just talked about non-GAAP. You know, historically, Stratasys has been the only uh, profitable company in the space and have for several quarters. Uh, granted, you know, I think about three or four percent type operating margins. 3D systems, if I remember correctly, they reported a one cent gap or non-gap EPS. So, 
might have been their first quarter of non-gap profitability in a while and a big focus on, you know, the spending acts right now. So, uh, you know, we'll see if they can kind of drive better profitability. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. So probably two notes that I pulled away. One, uh, you know, I think I was looking at sort of the 12 months number, so I don't see quite where the EBIT is quite there. So it's nice to see in the last quarter that that's the case. But Jeff Graves has put in sort of this cost savings result by reorganizing the company. They're trying to drive 45 to $50 million out of the operating budget by 2024. So I think there's a very disciplined uh, reduction in both headcount and organizational costs, uh, third-party contracts, and sort of just making sure that they can drive to, to your point exactly, Troy. It's trying to get to that profitability. Growth is being valued less than profitability today. So um, that's sort of the right answer. The other thing I thought was interesting, since we're going to use this as sort of a wrap-up on the equipment, is uh, Jeff had indicated that you know, for this quarter, there was a softness in dental. He said the printer uh, sales shortfall was greater than expected, particularly late in the quarter as tensions in the world increased significantly as the war in the Middle East unfolded. So I, I think everybody's seeing in this higher interest rate uh, environment through, you know, it's also now with all the other supply chain stuff, there's been a lot of dislocation. Everybody's still trying to normalize. Um, it's been very hard on all the equipment manufacturers. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's, it gets exacerbated when you have things like, uh, you know, Israel and the, the issues they're having in Ukraine and what's going on there. So yeah, he's probably not wrong. I'll, we'll give him some uh, some benefit of the doubt for sure. All right. Well, I'll pick up the pace here a little bit. We're going to move to the service providers now. Um, so to start off, Exometry, so they don't break down by additive uh, revenues. So I just looked at all of their marketplace revenues right, which is uh, CNC injection molding, sheet metal, and additive. But they did 282 million point seven this year, nine months to date, uh, versus last year doing 224 million. Uh, so for the year, they're uh, up 26% year over year. Um, so they're clearly taking share from some of these smaller, uh, you know, machine shops. I still think they do a lot of, you know, prototyping business, but uh, hats off to them on kind of getting the growth rate. They did kind of maintain their growth, excluding a, a divestiture they did. Um, but that's another one that's, you know, not profitable now, has a big debt uh, with the convertible component trending in the right direction. The question is kind of how quickly can they get to uh, to profitability? Yeah, I, I looked at sort of the year over year numbers. And so the growth there is actually they they are proving me wrong. I will I will tell everybody that I've made these announcements. Nobody even knows it, but I'll, I'll, I'll take ownership of it. I wasn't exactly sure about this model um, and, and how it would roll out. I, I think I always thought the established supply chains were going to be you know dominant and and they're doing a great job growing. So in the trailing 12 months, 433 million in revenues over the end of last year was 380. They're, they're, they're achieving top line growth at a rate that uh, I'm, like, I'm impressed. They, they're, they're pulling it off. So, and they're also doing it by maintaining margins. So they're, last year, they had 38% gross margins. This year, uh, on a trailing 12 months, also 38%. So they're not, they're not basically cutting uh, the price points and having the, the overhead that they still have to absorb. They're, they're maintaining the same profit margin. So there's some good things going on with Zometry. All right. So the next uh, Materialize, um, they did uh, 194 million 
euros, nine months to date this year, uh, up from 169.3. So it was 15% growth. That was pretty solid. Um, you know, I'll point out their software business has historically been flat, kind of sequentially and year over year, kind of stuck at that 10 million euro level. Uh, but the growth has really been coming from healthcare and medical segment. Um, you know, it's CMF has been huge for them. I think knee is just, there's been a bunch of stuff and some new kind of, um, you know, kind of things that they've been incubating for a bit. I did have the opportunity to uh, meet with the new CEO, Brigetta. I thought she was fantastic. Uh, we had dinner and toured the facility and then met with them briefly at uh, at the event. And they came to the dinner that I co-hosted with AM Ventures. So, um, you know, they're really, really doing better than they have historically. I mean, some of the growth and the upside for Materialize has been stuff that I haven't seen since these guys have gone public. So, you know, it seems like the service is, to me, it seems like, Customers are shying away from equipment spending, right? That's a lot of CapEx. Let's just kind of buy parts, right? And kind of defer the spending. So the service providers are actually kind of seeing that, you know, decent growth, some better than others right now in this space. Yeah, Troy, you're, you're right on that. Matter of fact, I've seen that as a shift in terms of some of the fundraising strategies as well, where equipment manufacturers are also pivoting to do more services type work to go with it. But looking at their numbers uh, on the gross margins, they're also um, up year over year on their gross margins by a point and a half or maybe one one point, which that, that's remarkable. Because if I look at year like the 12 months numbers, you know, ended last year at 243 million in revenues. They're at 270 now. So they're growing. Margins actually improved. And with the new CEO, uh, it's cool that you met her. I looked at her background. I don't know her, but given that she's sort of the driving force behind the medical side of the business, which is what's growing the business, that's that's pretty positive. The fact that I looked at her LinkedIn and, and having worked at sort of the big manufacturers like J&J, she has a perspective outside the industry, started her career as a consultant with Anderson. So uh, I'm excited to see what she brings to the table for Materialize. Yeah, yeah, I think she'll do good. I mean, obviously, I love Freed, and he's been fantastic for the industry. But you know, Freed had a lot of uh, you know, incubator type of kind of initiatives, right? So he was kind okay. of spending. Where I think Brigada is going to be much more kind of focused and disciplined and operational. And um, you know, we'll see what this next phase looks like now for uh, for Materialize. And I think isn't Freed? He's going to stay on as chairman for a period of time now. Chairman, correct? Um, he's not totally out. Yeah, he's not totally out either. No. Exactly. Cool. All right. So next would be Proto Labs. Um, so now for Proto Labs, I'm not looking at total revenues. They do report how much is additive. So I'm just going additive over additive. So uh, their total revenues are much bigger than this, but their additive business was about 64 million, nine months to date this year, up from 59.5 million last year, 7.4% growth. Um, you know, if you look at the company in total, they have been growing. You know, the hubs business, which competes with exometry has really been uh, kind of explosive for these guys. Um, still a p smaller piece of the total revenues um, and lower gross margins than you know, corporate average, but they've been scaling that now, getting better with cost cuts. Um, you know, Protolaz hasn't had a lot of kind of organic growth, X the um, hubs business, um, but they're very, very profitable. All right? They've always kind of had good profits and even in the last two or three quarters now, we're starting to see better kind of uh, operating margin expansion. You know, it's growing faster. Operating margin growth is growing faster than the revenue growth, right? So they're kind of, the, you know, the cost cuts and some of the spending initiatives have been been uh, very well uh, over Proto. 
Yeah, and I, look, this is the telltale company to watch from a standpoint of additive is really a component of manufacturing. And the fact that uh, additive is growing inside of Protolabs to it sounds like it's around 12% if they're doing, I think you said close to 60 something million in revenues and additive because their overall revenues in a trailing 12 are actually going to be even larger because you're quoting nine months and I'm looking at 493 million for sort of total business revenues. So but that's a significant one. I think we're going to see more of this integration of additive into traditional manufacturing. That, yeah. That's that's where the world's going. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Uh, quickly, two more to hit here. Uh, Shapeways, uh, they did have growth this year, nine months to date. They did 25 million, 0.3, up from 24.5. It kind of flattish, but up 3%. You know, they announced some auto deals recently. But for these guys, it's really, you know, for the stock perspective, for the company's profitability perspective, it's all about the software business, right? They need auto to ramp and, and it has, but it's still kind of small numbers and it's a subscription, right? So it's kind of a slower kind of build. But yeah, they, um, you know, another one kind of focusing on, on some cost cuts and, you know, trying to scale a business. Wow. They moved to Livonia, uh, Michigan to get closer to the automotive and just kind of lower costs than where they were previously headquartered. Yeah, this is the one I'm most concerned about. And, you know, they've been flat. A year over year revenues have been 33 point something million, 2021, 2022, 2023. So they're just kind of hanging in there. But their net losses, uh, operating losses are are growing. And, and with only 17 and a half million in cash left, yeah, I think this is, there's, there's going to be sort of, uh, Something has to happen. Either a financing needs to occur or some serious cost cutting has to take place because they had operating losses of 31 million last year. And without a company, a lot of like non-cash type of write-off, things like, you know, amortization and or depreciation that they can really count on, there's none of it. Um, these are really hard costs that, that unlike desktop metal, these are real hard costs that they're going to have to cut out. And so they're trading right now at a negative enterprise value. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this is one to watch. And so everybody stay tuned. Something needs to happen there. Yep. So yep. the next one is sort of the one where something is happening. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so once again, these numbers are just the additive piece of Fathom. They're much larger when you add in CNC and injection molding and sheet metal. Uh, their additive business was you know 9.6, down from 11.7, down 18%. Uh, smaller numbers, so it probably skews the numbers a little bit. Uh, but I do think it's a little bit more company-specific weakness. You know, they've obviously had some turnover here. You know, Ryan Martin, who I loved, uh, you know, has uh, announced he's leaving the company. They announced a new CEO, and as you alluded to, they got you know an offer here from Core, which um, you know would be pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I like Ryan Martin too. Sad to see him go. Uh, we participated in some panels together, and. He's been replaced by sort of, a, I'd call him a core insider. Uh, it's uh, Kerry Chen, who's been an operating advisor to Core Industrial Partners for, from what I understand, since maybe 2017, but um, also was a former executive with Cincinnati Incorporated, which many people may know from the large format additive for polymer side of the world, their BAM system, uh, which is no longer, I think, a, a business unit or a business uh, that they still maintain. But um, they've been around the additive space, touching in and out of it. But Kerry's taken over. Um, but most recently, I think everybody's heard the announcement now that Core's offered to buy the remaining shares outstanding for $4.50. If you look at where it's been trading over the last 30 days before the announcement, it's been somewhere between $4.04 to $4.80. So they're kind of right in that strike zone. 
And so a special committee has been assigned that doesn't have a conflict of interest uh, to evaluate the offer of this acquisition. And so a couple of things to, to note on this one, just so everyone, you know, to, to be aware of. Core has been really interesting to watch and it's probably been sort of the most prominent private equity group in additive. So they have another services business, uh, additive services business called Uptiv, which is a roll up of a bunch of companies, R3DX, uh, RE3D Tech, GoProto, there's another one, Stanford Machine and Manufacturing, Phoenix Proto Technologies. So they, they've rolled that up into Uptiv. If you remember, Fathom was exactly the same playbook, but it was just done back in the 2015 to 2021 timeframe where they bought uh, Animation, Fathom, Icomold, and Kodama, Summit Tooling. So it's it's sort of the same playbook. If they pull this off, they're going to actually have two services companies doing additive at the same time. Um, and so I ought to tell you sort of that core has been leading the way from the private equity side. We've mentioned a few others in the, in the, in the prior podcast with American Industrial Partners. Now we have L Squared with their uh, recent um, I3D acquisition. So we're seeing more private equity movement in the space. It's a good thing. So uh, some more to come. But I think, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Fathom over the next few weeks with the special committee. Yep. And well, actually, I'd say uh, just a quick apology to Nano and Prodways. I know those guys have exposure to this space. I just uh, haven't followed them as closely. So I kind of don't have those numbers to talk about. But uh, we should think about including them uh, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, today wasn't to be all inclusive every time. And, uh, you know, I think um, I'm pleased that you could make the time and during this transition anyway. So thanks for joining the podcast. And, uh, I look forward to having you on sort of to hit the Q4 results sometime, uh, probably what, February-ish, uh, March, whenever the, uh, that, that earnings is yeah, called. Typically Q4, remember, it takes longer to report than, uh, than others. So it might be a little bit uh, towards the end of February, but uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll launch coverage on some new names and uh, we'll have some research out there and uh, we'll get uh, a little bit more visible, a little bit more vocal in the space. So Excellent. Um, well, thanks for coming on, Troy. Thanks everybody for listening. And we'll wrap up episode 12. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Printing Money, the insider's perspective on finance and investment in the 3D printing industry. For more information about what you just listened to or for past episodes, visit www.3dprint.com. 